The chair of the Multnomah County Commission oversees 6,000 plus staff, dozens of community and civic partnerships, and a budget of nearly $3 billion. Responsibilities include public health, behavioral health and addiction services, public safety, and so much more. The county provides services for seniors and people with disabilities, animal services, assessment and taxation, bridges, community justice, courts, elections, health, jails, <laughs> libraries, marriage licenses and passports, school and community partnerships, and again, so much more. <clears throat> the chair puts forth the county budget and leads a commission with four elected commissioners. It's an important job. And one of the women here on this stage will be charged with overseeing and setting the vision for all of this. The election is Tuesday, May 17th, and ballots are arriving right now. For this race, a candidate must win 50% of the vote plus one to win outright. If no candidate wins more than 50%, the top two candidates will go on to a runoff in the November election. Once elected, the Multnomah County Chair's term is four years and a chair can serve only two consecutive terms. Now, with that background, we have about one hour and 15 minutes for this debate. I know you are eager to hear from our candidates, so I will outline ground rules and then we'll begin. Each candidate will have 90 seconds for an opening statement. Once the statements have concluded, we'll move on to our questions for the candidates, which include a lightning round. Each candidate will have the opportunity to answer each question in 60 seconds or less. Once the moderated questions have concluded, the candidates will each be given the opportunity to ask one question to an opponent. From there, we'll move on to audience questions. City Club has solicited questions in advance from members, the community, and all viewers who registered on the City Club link. I have taken the opportunity to vet and select each uh, and select which questions are posed today. We have a City Club staff person backstage, thank you, to provide timing reminders to candidates. When time is up, we ask each candidate to complete their current sentence in three to five seconds. Now, if you extend beyond that, I will move on to the next candidate. And my intention, of course, is to distribute questions and time equally. However, as moderator, I do reserve the right to follow up or ask for clarification, should it be appropriate and helpful to the discussion. So one unique hallmark of this season's City Club debates is what we're calling free speech passes. If a candidate wants to rebut a point made by an opponent, extend their own answer time, or clarify a response, the candidate simply needs to use a free speech pass. Each candidate has one pass worth 60, excuse me, worth 30 seconds. Finally, we'll close the debate with a one minute statement from each candidate. Now, before the program, we determined that you would be seated in reverse alphabetical order. I will ask questions starting from right to left. Then the person who answered first will respond last for the next question. So Jessica, you will go first with your opening remarks and you have 90 seconds. So, Hello everyone, my name is Jessica Vega-Peterson. I use she, her pronouns. 16 years ago, my husband and I bought our home in East Portland. It was a place we could be afford and where we knew we could be a part of the community. And we've been there ever since. 
it is a rapidly changing community. It's made up of people from all over the world who work hard to better their community, but oftentimes are working hard just to keep their heads above water. When I ran for office 10 years ago, it was because of sidewalks and the dangerous speeds that people drive through my streets. Community came together to support my campaign, and together we got sidewalks and so much more for the people of East Portland. And I have brought that power building approach to every issue I've tackled at the state and on the county commission. As the first Latina to serve in the Oregon House, I champion bringing paid sick leave to every Oregon worker, passing tax policies that help seniors stay in their home, raising Oregon's minimum wage, and getting coal out of our energy mix. At Multnomah County, I work with neighborhood associations and small businesses to successfully cite shelters and services in my district. I fought to get better COVID response and resources to our BIPOC communities who have been disproportionately impacted by COVID. And I led the fight for preschool for all a generation impacting program that will bring quality preschool to all children in Multnomah County and will make a game changing um, um, change for workers as well. I have the experience, the track record of accomplishment and the vision to take on our housing and homelessness crisis, combat climate change, and increase community safety and address systemic racism. That's why I'm running for Multnomah County Chair. Thank you. And next we'll go to Lori. Thank you, Shabri. My name is Lori Stegman, and I serve as your vice chair on the Multnomah County Board. I'm a mom, a successful small business owner, and a former Gresham City Councilor. As an immigrant and the first Asian American to ever serve on the board, I'm running for chair to represent every person who feels invisible, who has been told that their voice doesn't count, and no matter what you do, you will never be good enough. We have a lot of life-threatening challenges in our community, from homelessness to addiction to gun violence and generational poverty, all steeped in racial injustice. Having experienced many of these traumas myself, I have a deep understanding of the barriers and the solutions of how we can go upstream and offer people access to opportunities to make better choices for themselves. And if we do that, then I know we can make our communities stronger and safer, which is why as your next chair, I will increase investments in homeless services and public safety, expand behavioral health resources, create an economic development and workforce stability department to connect people to family wage jobs. I'll create an office of reentry services. Also, I'll update our civil commitment laws and create a team similar to the Portland Street response. I'm the only candidate with lived experience who has decades of business and economic development exper expertise who can change the trajectory that we're on. I'm ready to do that, and I hope you are too. Thank you so much, Lori. Next, we'll go to you, Sharon. Thank you. I'm Sharon Myron. I'm an emergency room doctor, a lawyer, and a volunteer with a uh, medical provider, uh, directly serving people who live outside on our streets. I have the unique skills, perspective, and knowledge that we need at this exact moment in time to confront the crises we're facing right now in homelessness, behavioral health, public safety, and moved the county forward. Every day we see some form of inhumanity when we walk out our door, whether if we are fortunate to have a door to walk out of, and whether that is people living unsheltered outside in garbage on the street, people in mental health crises being taken to jail instead of treatment, uh, it's not okay. But every day I see local government, including our county board, acting like it is. 
It might be because I'm an ER doctor, but we shouldn't be patient when thousands of people are living in squalor and dying on our streets. This is not a housing issue, it is a humanitarian crisis. We should not be tolerant of systems that perpetuate the status quo. I thought being commissioner would be sufficient to get things done in terms of the county's functioning, but I've learned that the chair is actually in charge and that's why I'm running for this seat. I appreciate my colleagues turning their attention now to houselessness, but it's too little too late. I know the issues, I've done the work, and I have the plans. I'm an ER doctor, and we're facing an emergency. I will take charge of these crises, and that's why I'm running for county chair. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, Shariah, you're next. Thank you. So Shariah Mayfield, for those who don't know me, I'm an employment rights attorney and a law professor teaching privacy law at Willamette. And I am running because I am fed up with the current leadership, including the three commissioners running against me who have been in power for five or more years and just now are talking about things they're going to do to fix these crises as we've spiraled into having the second highest unsheltered population in the United States after California as of a 2021 study. So we're only getting worse. And despite that, we knew from 2015 that we've been in a homeless emergency. And so it's been over six years. The current leadership isn't working. We need rapid action to get people off the streets into humane alternatives, using enforcement if necessary, but really trying to provide multiple options to the folks on the streets. They're not all the same. So having shelter options, low and high uh, barrier options, sanctioned camp areas with hygiene services, these are all things that I would be focusing on critically and urgently because the current leadership has not done that. If you don't want the status quo, then you shouldn't be voting for the politicians running against me who have been in power for five or more years as we've spiraled out of control. I was born in Portland. I've never seen it like this before. I'm disillusioned. I'm sad. And I'm hoping that the people watching this are also disillusioned and want a new path forward, a fresh vision, somebody who can get things done, who has a track record of success, and who has the energy and the zeal to collaborate and start changing our course as we move forward into a more beautiful, cleaner, and safer county for everyone. Thank you, Shariah. Now, before we go to our first uh, quick practice lightning round questions, we do have a candidate that's asked to use uh, their free speech pass. And so, Sharon, uh, you ready to use yeah. it? Okay, so. you have your 30 seconds. I would um, just like to uh, speak to uh, a couple of the points that Shariah raised, which I really appreciate so many of the ideas you bring to the table and you do those speak to you know the three of us sitting here today as um, you know as not having accomplished anything and I would like I think it's why it's so important who is chair and why it's so important to have the understanding of how the office actually works and how the commission works Thank because you. that is where that is where decisions are made and whose chair directs that. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks. Okay, so we are going to go ahead and get started with our two short practice lightning round questions. And we'll start with Lori. After that, we'll go to Sharon, Shariah, and we'll come back to Jessica. For these, we ask you to respond with either a word or a short sentence. Don't worry, it's not hard. Our first question <laughs> is, who is the most influential person in your life, excluding family members? Lori? Uh, Harry Holt. 
Carrie Holt, thank you. Sharon. I uh, wish I hadn't used my little pass. I, <laughs> it's family members. Um, I'm gonna have to come back to it, I can't. Okay, think. that sounds good. Shariah. Imam Mamadou Touré, my spiritual leader that I grew up with. Thank you. And Jessica. Uh, my eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Gertz, who said I needed to get into something that had to do with words and changing things. <laughs> nice. Okay, Sharon, I'll give you one last uh, section. Would you like to answer who is the most influential person in your life, excluding a family member? I, I don't have an answer for that. Um, and I would actually like to, I'd like to raise something that I think is important in processing information and the types of questions and how these things happen. That sometimes it is difficult for, um, for people with certain disabilities to be able to respond in this way at the moment. And um, I suffer from one of those disabilities, which makes this a, it a strange type of forum. So I, I apologize, but processing in that way, I don't think it points to the way one can be a chair. Thank but you. This, it's just important to bring up. So Thank you. Thank you so much, not, I don't have the influences. Just Thank you. Processing. Yeah. Thank you. We are, so we're, we have one more question, and we're meant to start with you. Um, <laughs> this one comes from an audience member named Mary, and she asks, what is your superpower? It is authenticity. Thank you, thank you. Next, we'll go to you, Shariah. I always have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and I will get things done. That's my superpower. Thank you, Shariah. And Jessica. Keep, keeping my eye on the vision and making sure we accomplish it. Lori. My lived experience. Lived experience. Okay, so those are the lightning round questions. We just wanted to get you warm and we're going to move into the moderator questions and so we'll uh, go through that. I will ask a series of questions related to countywide issues. Each of you have 60 seconds to respond to each question. At 60 seconds, please complete your sentence. This time we'll start with Shariah, then we'll move to Jessica, Lori, and then Sharon. First question is, as county chair, how will you work to address the root causes of homelessness? Great, Shariah? great, thank you. So we have to identify them first, uh, drug addiction, mental health, poverty, and trauma. I did criminal defense, I've worked in prison work, I've worked at the DOJ, I've worked for Senator Wyden, so I actually draw from my own experience working with people who have been on the fringes, and I've done civil commitment appeals as well, and what you'll realize is a lot of people that are on the streets and actually who end up in jail have backgrounds of mental health trauma, of drug addiction, of substance abuse disorders, and so on. So in my uh, position as county chair, I would be really working hard to create dual diagnosis centers. I've said this repeatedly. Those are centers you can go, th go to to get treatment for both substance abuse issues and mental health issues at the same time instead of having to jump through hoops. They should be all around town, they should be cheap or free, they should be easy to access, not just for folks on the streets, but everyone who needs that sort of treatment. But I would say let's start a pilot program with the folks on the streets, 
get them their mental health and drug addiction treatment that they need. In some cases, that needs to be mandatory for dangerous people and really focus on those root causes of, uh, of trauma and, uh, in, in many cases, childhood trauma. Thank you, Shariah. The question goes to you next, Jessica. As county chair, how will you work to address the root causes of homelessness? Yeah, so as county chair, I would make sure that, um, first of all, our county departments and division are working together to make sure that we're um, addressing issues like poverty, like mental illness and addiction, and working to make sure that we are putting um, resources into people's hands to help them stay housed, um, because we know housing affordability is one of a leading um, cause of homelessness as well. Um, I will make sure also that we're working across jurisdictions so that we're doing that same kind of collaboration and le leveraging of resources um, with both the city of Portland with the East County cities and with um, the metro government as well. I think it's really important that we're working together as the city is doing their investments in aligning their um, first responder responses, that we are integrating the work with the behavioral health, with the mobile units um, that the county provides and that the work that the county does. And then as county chair, I will also be advocating at the state and federal level to get more resources for affordable housing for people so that they can stay in their homes and that people who are placed in homes can be successful with their wraparound supportive services and rent subsidy to help them be there. Thank you, Thank Jessica. You. And next we'll go to you, Lori. Thank you, Shabri. I love this question because it asks about the root causes of homelessness. And I often don't hear people talk about that. And I think that we really need to focus on those root causes of trauma, violence, uh, generational poverty and racism. And specifically what I'll do, what I have been doing as I've been working on master leases, uh, you may have heard of the 3000 challenge uh, where there's probably maybe 30,000 empty units that we could connect uh, nonprofits with, with houseless individuals to get them housed. And right now I am doing that. So while a lot of people talk about what we should be doing, I'm actually doing it. We also have the Behavioral Health Resource Center that will be opening this fall that has about 32 beds of transitional and emergency housing. And I've also created over 334 units of affordable housing in East County. We are also working with the HOPE team uh, through the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office who does uh, services, outreach services to our houseless population in East County. I have advocated and funded for their, uh, for their team for the last five years and will continue to do so. Thank you so much, Lori. And Sharon, we'll go to you next. Yeah, so I, love this question as well. In the ER, we see people who have fallen through multiple cracks in our systems of care, we ha who haven't had the supports to keep them safe or healthy, and they end up in this place of crisis. And so addressing those root causes is key. As Commissioner uh, Stegman mentioned, anti-poverty work, and I know that she is doing a great amount of that work in East County and uh, addressing systemic racism, which is work that we are doing at the county. There is so much trauma. We do need to address substance use disorder and mental health issues, but not at the crisis point, which is where the Behavioral Health Resource Center and Behavioral Health Emergency Coordination Network come in, but at the outset, early childhood, early learning, youth mental health, and our elders, and we need those long-term rental assistance and supports to keep people in their housing so that they don't, so that they don't lose that. So multifactorial, lots of work there. Thank you so much, Sharon. Okay, so we're gonna move to question two and we're gonna stick with this topic. The Oregonian writes that the race for the next Multnomah County chair boils down to this. 
Do voters want someone who will stay the course on the county's approach to homelessness, or do they want someone who will bring urgency and targeted strategies to confront the totality of the crisis? I tend to agree that homelessness is the biggest issue facing the county, consuming up to $200 million of the county budget. We have limited time, so I'm going to focus your responses by asking each of you a specific question based on things I've read on your websites or in interviews you've given. So each of you will get your, your own individual question. Jessica, we'll start with you. You have called for an expansion of shelters while also dealing with long-term housing issues. Can you elaborate on how you would prioritize these strategies or if you anticipate giving them equal weight and how you plan to execute? Sure, I think when it comes to addressing the housing and homelessness crisis, um, which would be my number one priority as county chair, we have to be thinking in terms of short-term, medium-term, and long-term um, strategies. We have the dollars from the Supportive Housing Services measure now that we have never had before, and we need to put those to work effectively. So in looking at how I would um, focus, um, prioritize shelters and alternative shelters. Shelters are a way of helping people get stabilized so that they can be moving more safely off the street so that they can have access to mental health um, services, physical health services. So one of the things that I would do for shelters is really support some of the alternative models, especially some of the things that um, private groups are putting together to get people into shelters, while also using the government's dollars and reach to look at um, big capacity things like master leasing at hotels, um, where we have staff on site to address mental health and um, physical needs as other wraparound services, and then long-term planning, looking at building the affordable housing and making sure we're putting the services in place um, to, to, so that people can be successful there too. Thank you so much, Jessica. Lori, we're gonna go to you next. Now you've said that this crisis has two issues to address, homelessness and housing affordability. And you call for long-term strategies and measurable outcomes. Can you elaborate on what those strategies and outcomes would look like if you were elected chair? Thank you, Shabri. Yeah, it really is about having a continuum of services. We know that, off, excuse me, that often people enter <clears throat> into our services or into our care uh, through emergency shelter. But after they go through emergency shelter, what is the next step? Well, sometimes that can be directly uh, into rapid rehousing, which is really one of the most quick ways that we can get folks. Uh, and when we're talking about doing these master leases, uh, yes, let's just get people off the streets and into housing. That's what solves housing. Also, uh, working with organizations like uh, Salvation Armies, Bridgeway of Hope, where this is the next step for uh, men in a residential program who are clean and sober, but now they have to think about supporting themselves, the job training, the skills that they will need uh, to, to be self-supportive. And so that's exactly what Bridgeway of Hope does, is that it, they provide a culinary school, uh, they also are working with the trades to really give uh, people the opportunities and the tools that they need to be self sufficient. That's how we solve homelessness is by looking at economic stability. Thank you, Lori. Sharon, you've called on the county to urgently address the humanitarian crisis of homelessness and put out a plan over a year ago that you noted would provide what many living outside would actually prefer, meet the need of our entire community and be a win-win. You added that was unfortunately rejected by my fellow commissioners. Can you tell us a bit more about that plan mm -hmm. and address how you would get the buy-in of your colleagues if you are elected chair? Yes, thank you. So my proposed approach to get people into shelter is about it 
this is not a housing question. It's a safety, urgency, public health question, a humanitarian question. And it adds two things to our current system. One is a network of microsites. So each of these would be a tiny footprint, say 10 structures with basic amenities, toilet, hygiene, shower and laundry, trash pickup, small, like the size of this room. People on the radio can't see it, but it's not that big. And um, if we had one of those in every neighborhood in Portland, that's a thousand people we're talking about getting placed somewhere off of the streets that's safer and healthier. This is what people, I go out, I've spoken with hundreds of people living outside, what they want, what business owners want, what neighborhoods want. So that is huge and that scale, not the one-offs or the specific um, issues. And then we need coordination. We are lacking that. We need to put order to the chaos and having this provides that baseline first rung of the ladder where people can actually breathe so all the outreach we do is effective and gets people onto the pathway to housing. Thank you. Shariah, we're going to go to you next. You say we are dealing with an emergency and have been since 2015, and that the current county response is exacerbating the problem. You've talked about radically shifting gears and proposed that the county create sanctioned camp areas around the county. Can you tell us more about that plan and how it compares with the similar plan that was rejected by members of the Portland City Council? Sure, so this is a little bit similar to the micro sites. I don't anticipate that these campsites are going to be gigantic, such as a thousand uh, person type uh, shelter or camps. But really the, the importance of doing the campsites is we need something to just move people into fixed addresses. That's the very, very first step. So as chair, I'm about damage control and I have uh, the motto of don't let perfection be the enemy of good. If it's better than what we currently have, which is people living in squalor, in the ditch, on the side of the road, in piles of garbage with criminal acts happening all the time, assault, drug addiction, uh, violence. We have to get them into supervised areas where they can have hygiene services, toilets, showers, laundry, get them on social security disability benefits. I do that in my in my work. I work with people on disability uh, so that the feds can start easing up some of the, the local taxpayer burden of this issue that we're disproportionately getting from other states where people are moving here. And the elephant in the room is that, yes, I would love to do all of this voluntarily, and I think we can, but I'm not shy to say that if, it, if people want to privatize public space and refuse to move to any of the options we give them, I would use enforcement. I would promote enforcement. Thank so you. that's that's really what sets me apart from my opponents. Thank you, Shariah. Okay, we are going to move on to the next question. We're going to start with you, Lori, then we'll go to Sharon, Shariah, and Jessica. The American Rescue Plan has provided over $150 million to the county to respond to the pandemic. Over the last two years, these resources have been used to help with housing stability, address an increase in domestic violence, and many other important programs. This money goes away in 2024. So there's a looming cliff you will have to address during your tenure as county chair. Will you, or how will you, continue to pay for these programs and supports once that $150 million from the feds dry up? What county programs might you reduce or eliminate to continue these? Again, we'll start with you first, Lori. 
Thank you. So yeah, fortunately we have passed some uh, measures around homelessness. Uh, as you know, the uh, Metro Housing Bond as well as the Supportive Housing Services Measure Bond. So there is an influx of money. So oftentimes we refer to one-time only versus ongoing funding. So we have to be really smart about what, you know, sometimes when we make capital improvements, uh, that is a one-time only type of program like when we're building affordable housing. So uh, I think it's about being smart about how we're spending money. And I think we have to really look more closely like what are the best ways to deliver those services. Uh, there might be other ways than, than what we're doing currently. Uh, it's just really important that we uh, balance the needs because while I support all of the services that we're doing around homelessness, there are other departments that have not received funding. Uh, for instance, roads and transportation and other, uh, other areas where we really need to think about, especially in East County, that need attention and service. Thank you, Lori. Sharon? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, uh, the ARPA funds have literally been life-saving. Uh, they are one-time only funds or being, that can only be used for a certain amount of time. So I've been an advocate of doing things that require large one-time only investments that will then be invested in for the future so we can uh, have long, see long-term results. So for example, I do support purchasing and reusing facilities that we can, such as hotels and motels that we can refurbish can be used then as shelters, ultimately maybe even supportive housing or other, other things. Um, that's why the microsites that I talked about would be so uh, great to use ARPA funding for because once you get those established, get people connected to them, get the infrastructure set up with the coordination we need and the systems there, it can be self-perpetuating and we don't need to invest those additional resources. It's about using the resources we have wisely for what their function is supposed to be. Thank you. Sharia? Sure, and so this is talking about when the funds dry up. And so when the funds dry up, my top priority has been and will continue to be the housing instability issue and the homelessness crisis. And I separate those out. The homelessness crisis is, again, primarily a drug addiction and mental health crisis. And affordable housing crisis, which overlaps, is primarily, in my opinion, a poverty crisis. People who just can't afford to pay for housing. So using the funds that we currently have for rent assistance was a great thing. We need to continue doing that at the county level. And once the federal funds dry up, use the housing bond money that we have for urgent action to build some of these short-term alternatives like the RV parks, the sanctioned camp areas that I've mentioned, tiny homes, pod homes, all these options, we need to get them in place immediately. And then once again, once the ARPA funds are gone, we move into the housing bond funds and we need to use these, uh, these dollars that we have immediately. And also when I talk about homelessness and affordable housing issues, because it does overlap with drug addiction and mental health, we need to continue programs uh, to, to fund mental health treatment and dual diagnosis centers, which I mentioned before as well. Thank you, Shariah. Thank we you. have a candidate, Lori, would like to use her free speech pass. And so, Lori, you have 30 seconds. Thank you so much. You know, around the budget, you know, we're already paying. You know, all you have to do is look at our ERs, our jails. There is money. And if we can redirect that money uh, to provide services that prevent people from spiraling into homelessness and addiction, then that's where the money is. And the other thing I wanted to respond to uh, is the micro villages. I do not see those as an economic cost effective 
effective way uh, to have a hundred villages. It's just economically you cannot manage a hundred different sites uh, without hiring a lot of people and a lot of expense. Thank you, Lori. Now, Jessica, we're going to close out this question with your response. Okay, sure. So, you know, we do have a looming cliff at the sun, uh, a looming cliff at the county, but we also have it at the city. So, I think that's why it's so important to make sure that we are coordinating the resources that both governments have put in, um, into effect with the ARPA funds, which include rental assistance, temporary shelters, including the safe rest villages. There's also been money to gun violence response, including behavioral health workers for that. So, we have to really be looking at how effective those programs are. Um, and, and then, you know, have to make the hard decisions about um, which ones have been shown to be most effective, which ones are getting the outcomes that we intended when we were funding those programs, and then either cut some of those that aren't working or um, find the money at the county to use as ongoing funds to continue those programs that are being effective. And the county, luckily, is not facing a deficit in the upcoming um, fiscal years. We actually have um, some cushions. So I do think there is room for those programs that are going to be most effective to continue on. Um, and I will, as a county chair, I would prioritize making sure that we are funding programs that are really helping people in becoming more self-sufficient and getting um, the stability that they need. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna move on to criminal justice. And in this, we'll start with Sharon. We'll go then next to Shariah, Jessica, and we'll close with Lori. So let's talk about public safety. As you know, the Multnomah County Sheriff is elected, yet the county commission adopts the budget for the sheriff's office. The sheriff's budget is one of the larger line items in the budget at more than $170 million. Suggesting possibly this structure means that many of the reforms you want to do can be done via the budget. <clears throat> there have been a number of conversations over the past just two years about reforming our criminal justice system from diversion Reentry programs, overhauling our parole and probation system to community justice. What is the county's role to help transform the criminal justice system? And how will you use the budget to move this forward? Once again, we're going to start with you, Sharon. Yeah, thank you. This ties into the work we are reimagining justice work that has been led by our local public service coordinating council. And that is uh, a very intensive, it's been a process of engaging stakeholders from across our community in such a broad range from behavioral health, from criminal justice, from the sheriff's office, from the police, from parole, probation, all the upstream, downstream services to say, what does our, what should an ideal criminal justice system criminal legal system, public safety system look like, including restorative justice and so much more to come to collective agreement on strategies to achieve that plan with all of these different organizations. That's actually how we should be doing work in all of the work that we do. And, um, and so that's the long-term visioning and approach is collaboration. There's stuff we need to be doing immediately. It does not address that. So thank you, Sharon. more to be said there. Shariah, you're next. Thank you. So this really hits close to home as somebody who did criminal defense work, criminal appeals, 
prison work, representing prisoners and uh, prisons. So I've been really at the intersection of crime and prison uh, law type of work. And one thing I realized is that uh, the county chair, and especially with my background, can be in a role to collaborate with not just the sheriff's office at the county level, but the Portland Police Bureau as well, to come up with reforms and to push for necessary reforms, things I can do. I'm also the only candidate that has ta helped take badges away from police officers who acted uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that was misconduct under the rules. And so here's my uh, number one idea, and I want to throw this out there for everyone. Uh, when I worked in prison work, they had a grievance process for any prisoner who wanted to decry correctional officers' misconduct. The prison had to respond within 30 days, and then you can do an appeal, you can do a second appeal. There's an interactive process. We don't have that for regular citizens right now. So one thing I would like to see first and foremost is accountability and transparency over our law enforcement, which means we need a grievance process, an administrative process to decry misconduct by our officers. We need that at the, at the sheriff's level, but also at the police level, and I would be helping to collaborate that with my own background. Thank you. Jessica, we'll go to you next. Yeah, so this is um, public safety and our justice system is a huge part of the county's work. Um, I am a, a very big supporter of the Transforming Justice Initiative that the, that the county is working on right now. We just were briefed on it um, the other day, so I encourage people to check that out. Um, we really need to make sure that we're using our jail space for people who are doing violent crimes or people who have are doing repeated crimes without um, mental health or addiction issues that are that are um, also impacting them. We want to make sure that people who um, really the help that they really need is behavioral health, mental health support, addiction support are not going into our jails for that, but that we have the system in place to be able to serve those folks so that our jail space is for people who are doing violent crime. So we have to be investing in our behavioral health services. We have to be investing in community organizations who are doing that deep work in community. And um, and we also, as county chair, have to be looking at our partnership with, with the court system and their role in um, in providing justice, our um, state, in funding our public um, defender system. And with our Thank sheriff you. and our district attorneys, we have to have more budget transparency and resources. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Lori, we're going to go to you last with this question. Well, thank you. My colleagues have mentioned the Transforming Justice Initiative, and I actually am uh, have been leading that charge and working with uh, many different departments. So that's incredibly important. It's about changing uh, how all of the systems interact. And one of the ways that we can do that is the first thing I'll do is create an office of reentry services. Right now, when people are released from jail or prison, they're often released into homelessness. And we have to give them different opportunities, better opportunities so that they can make better choices. So again, it's about uh, making sure that someone has housing, uh, also helping uh, youth that are uh, coming out of the foster care system or aging out. Uh, the other thing I think is really important is around uh, ballot measure 110 and the budget. Hopefully that they will actually see some money and grants coming out of that system so that we can treat people. And we're gonna need help from, from our state and federal partners, absolutely. And and then the last thing I will mention is, is the Portugal model, where we really have to look at how uh, to decriminalize drug possession, but to get people into treatment. Thank you, Lori. Okay, so we are gonna move forward to our next question. I'm gonna start with Sharia, then we'll go to Jessica, Lori, Sharon, uh, to, to close this next question out. This year, 675 preschool slots will open thanks to the Preschool for All measure that voters passed in 2020. The promise of this measure was universality, yet one third of childcare organizations 
are closed and we don't have the number of provider applicants stable enough to take on more kids. Shariah, the question is, how do you link preschool for all with the other family support services that the county provides, such as housing, mental health supports, and more? And how will you work to ensure county family support funds are put to their best and highest use? Well, this is uh, one thing where I, I may disagree with Commissioner uh, Vega-Peterson on a lot of uh, priorities, but I actually commend her efforts on the preschool for all. I think that that was a success in doing workers' rights work myself. You see that there's a lot of workplace inequity and earning potential inequity, particularly for people of color when they don't have the ability to have childcare services provided to them for free. And so having pre, uh, preschool for all puts those kids into an early start to learn, head start to learn, but also gives them an opportunity to uh, to be under supervision so that parents can continue to work and, and potentially have two incomes, which is so necessary with the poverty we're in now. So I don't actually have the answers on how we're going to find those providers. I will defer to Commissioner Vega-Peterson, and I trust that she will find a way to make that uh, program work because she did help uh, spearhead it. But I am supportive of that, and as chair, I would be supportive of those efforts. And one other thing at the county level for family support is making sure that all courts have child care services provided. You can get volunteers to do that because people who show up to court oftentimes uh, bring their children and can't go into the courtroom without severe issues there. Thank you. Sure. Okay, Jessica, we'll go to you next. Yeah, so this is not gonna be enough time for me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, we um, created Preschool for All with the intention of making sure that it was going to be a robust program that would um, grow to universality over 10 years. So we do have time um, to really work with our provider base to expand the number of providers and the number of slots so that we can get to universal because we know we're in a critical crisis right now and the pandemic just made it worth. But I will say that we have, as we made Preschool for All, we wanted to make sure that we we're linking it with other county support services. For instance, the Preschool for All measure actually funds three um, early childhood mental health specialists that sit in our behavioral health division. So that, because we know that is an important piece. Um, we also have a really good model at the county of how we are already using county programs to connect um, children and families to resources through our SUN program, our Schools Uniting Neighborhood. This is where county services and we're funding um, things that are based at schools. And so that has been a link already of where we're having schools connected to county services. And I think that will be a great model that we will, um, that we are implementing with Preschool for All too, so that our providers have that, have that support. Awesome, yes. thank you so thank much. You. Lori, you're next. Yeah, daycare is absolutely uh, one of the most expensive uh, things that families have to deal with. And I'm really proud of the work that I did as a Gresham City Councilor in our urban renewal area called the downtown Rockwood. And we were very cognizant about ensuring that there were going to be services for people that actually live in that community. And one of those is a daycare center. But it is challenging to uh, hire more people. Uh, and historically, uh, they don't pay family wages. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Commissioner Vega Peterson uh, can lead that charge. Uh, and then also uh, through our Reynolds um, uh, High School, we were able to get a behavioral health center uh, that uh, ties in and provides more counseling because we know that our youth uh, has suffered through COVID uh, and lack of resources and mental health. So that's something that I advocated, I fought for, and I got. And I also think that we should co-locate services. We are opening a brand new flagship library in Gresham. And sometimes our libraries become de facto shelters. And by providing services for people, that will help. Thank you so much. Sharon, we're gonna close this question out with you. 
Yes, I, I um, support uh, universal preschool and believe this needs to be uh, connected to all the other county supports and services we uh, operate along with supporting workforce there to have a living wage uh, and to thrive. So we do have the new, um, I think it's 22, 23 person uh, bureaucracy at the county that will need to intersect with all of those services. And I am glad that Commissioner Vega Peterson will remain at the county regardless of this race um, to be able to help direct where that work goes since she was a leader in getting that passed. Um, and so as chair, that will be one of the things I work on. Uh, but I think that's the beauty of having such an amazing board is we leverage all our different areas of expertise. Mine happens to be right now the core areas of houselessness, mental health, addictions, public safety. And as an ER doctor, that's Thank what I'll sure. approach right now. Thank you. So we are going to move quickly. Instead of many lightning round questions, I'm going to ask one simple lightning round question. And we're gonna start with you, Lori. We'll go to Sharon next, Shariah, and we'll close out with Jessica. This is a light one. Okay. What is your favorite Multnomah County Bridge? Tillicum. That's a good one. Sharon? Broadway. Broadway. Shariah? Hawthorne, I had my first kiss there on July 4th. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> and Jessica? I have to say Hawthorne because it's the one I take going back and forth from east okay. to west. <laughs> awesome. We are going to now move into the, uh, the space where the candidates will ask questions of each other. So we have set aside time for each of you to ask a question of one other candidate of your choosing. Please be extremely succinct. Identify who you are asking the question of first. Keep your question to no more than 20 seconds, and please state it as a question. Each candidate will have 60 seconds to respond to, the, uh, to, respond to that question. For this round, we'll start with you, Sharon. You'll get to ask your question first. We'll then move to Shariah. Jessica, you'll ask your question third, and Lori will close out with your question. And so, Sharon, you have uh, 20 seconds. What question and who are you going to ask? I will ask Commissioner Vega Peterson, and that is uh, why the messaging, your messaging around houselessness and shelter has changed or even just started since the campaign began a couple of months ago, from shelter to permanent housing, and now you're, you're talking much more about shelter. Um, Thank you. And never had. Uh, what's the question? Your, um, have you changed your position on shelter vis-a-vis -vis permanent housing? Thank you. No, I've worked um, as a commissioner to actually cite shelters successfully in my district. Um, I worked with neighborhood associations. Um, people in the community were really, really upset. Um, first of all, when the Hanson shelter was cited before I was a county commissioner. Um, and so when it came to citing shelters in my district, when we had the foster shelter, um, I made sure to engage with the community to get that cited successfully. That is a model that I will continue to um, promote as we're building more shelter um, for sure. So I have always thought that shelter was a, an option. I think the um, getting people stabilized in temporary situations so that they can be more successful in housing um, is, is also like a path that we have to take. And ultimately, we have to get people permanently housed. Like we just can't keep having people on our streets. 
And I've also always promoted things like investing in things that the county traditionally hasn't, like vector control. So let's put more resources into affecting some of the impacts like rats or um, working with the city and Metro to fund trash pickup. Like those are the responses that we have to do. And I've always been a proponent of that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sharara, next, who is your question for? And you have 20 seconds to ask the question. Also Commissioner Vega-Peterson. Uh, and my question is, in the instance that there is a homeless person in a tent on a sidewalk, sleeping, say, downtown, and you give them the options that are available, per- even including permanent housing, for example, potentially, and they refuse and say, I like it out here and I insist on staying here, would you support enforcement to remove them off the sidewalk? And in which, which situations would you support enforcement? Yeah, so I don't actually have to um, imagine somebody downtown. There is somebody on the block just like right up the street from my house who is living in a tent on a sidewalk. And I actually had a conversation with them to see what they needed and what they wanted. They were actually really um, interested in getting out of a tent and getting into a more stable situation. They had somebody who was living in an RV um, that they wanted to move in with and they were able to do that. I think if somebody has said that they um, do not want to go into housing and or go into a shelter, um, that's only going to be an issue if we have enough shelters for them to go in. So we have to make sure that we have those shelters, we have a place for that person to go. Um, and if they don't want to go there, then I, you know, then we need to do, be doing outreach to see what do they need to help make that path so that they can, so that they can want to do that. Sometimes they're worried because they don't have enough space for their, um, for their goods, right? That they don't have places for all their belongings. So we have to be setting up shelters um, that have enough space for their belongings. We also have to make sure that, you know, if people want to bring their pets with them that we have a place for their pets to go. Thank you so much, Jessica. Um, Would you like to use your 30 seconds? I'd like to use my 30 seconds. Okay, your free speech pass. I think this this is exactly the problem is we're not getting clear answers on when enforcement can and will be used. I'm the only one who's saying those uncomfortable truths that when somebody refuses help and whatever, however we define help, I think we should be focusing on how we can uh, provide compassionate help. But at some point, and as a lawyer, we are, you know, we, we, uh, hope for the best, but we, we expect the worst and we prepare for the worst. And I'm the only one who's willing to do that because I do not trust that continuing to only do outreach will solve this problem when people refuse to get help at some point you have to use enforcement and that's the reality and nobody else on this commission thank you so much okay jessica next you are able to ask a question um and who is your question for okay so my um question is for commissioner myron so both commissioner stegman and i have been able to pass important policies at the county level without a unanimous vote on the board i've even been able to get things passed on the board without the support of chair kafori having the political acumen to negotiate and win people over to your priorities passed is a requirement of an elected leader why should voters trust you to be able to get your priorities passed even with just three votes when you have been able to do so so far so just can i ask a clarifying question you have you have a clarifying question quickly sort of yeah so what are what is the i'm would like to know which policy you're talking about with the majority that didn't have the chairs buy-in for would you like to quickly restate just the question portion of your yes why should voters trust you to be able to get your priorities passed with even just three votes when you haven't been able to do that so far 60 seconds. Thank you. I think that that's a great question and it ties, first of all, there is so much that I've accomplished that is on my website. People can look at it in the role, realm of mental health, in houselessness, in a number of areas. The big picture and direction lives with the chair's office and the chair sets the agendas for all of our conversations, sets the agendas at the meetings on housing and homeless services. Um, and then sets the broad budget that we then at the, you know, kind of address some portions of, 
the role of chair is, and the chair chooses the heads of departments and oversees them. So if the chair has a vision, I've brought these off up at ad nauseum and they have not even been allowed on the agendas for discussion or conversation. And if the people that I have in, on my team are able to get information across, set those agendas and those budget priorities and call out Thank the you. truth and direct it, that's where change can happen in the big picture, not Thank just you, um, individual policy. Thank you, Sharon. Lori, uh, you have a question. I Go do. ahead and state who it is. Thank and you for Jessica. Uh, as a successful small business owner and operator for nearly 30 years, I would never hire someone to run a nearly $3 billion organization with 6,000 employees that has never owned or operated a business, developed a strategic plan, or had to make payroll. Outside of your tenure on our board, what direct experience qualifies you to be our next CEO? and chief HR officer. Yeah, so I think the things is that qualify me to be our CEO of the county is just the track record of getting things done, getting big things done, and um, doing at the state level, doing it with people who are from different political parties, from different jurisdictions. Um, and I did that with um, Preschool for All. I've done that with um, climate change. I have also made sure to um, be involved in our budget process, both as a county commissioner, as a um, state representative who was dealing with much bigger budgets at the state level. Um, I sat on the revenue committee. We were looking at tax policy um, that impacted our states. And I have 10 years experience in the private sector as a, as a technology project manager. Um, so I was in charge of budgets. I was making sure things got done on time and under budget to deliver to our clients. I think the county chair's role is um, very similar to putting all of those things um, um, together where you have to be able to negotiate things, you have to be able to lead departments. Um, I know I have the trust of um, our county employees. I am the only candidate that's been um, endorsed by AFSCME, and so I know I have the goodwill and the experience to do that job Thank well. you, Jessica. Thank you. Okay, so we are going to quickly move into audience questions. As noted earlier, City Club solicited questions in advance from which I'm selecting uh, of the following. You have 60 seconds to respond. I'm gonna go to Jessica's question, uh, excuse me, Julie, uh, Julie's question first, and the question first goes to you, Jessica. Okay. Okay, Julie asks, what initiatives will you take relative to reducing carbon emissions, which we know are severely impacting human health and everything on our planet? What is the county's role, and how will you provide leadership on this? Yeah, it kind of has an important role when, and actually all of us do when it comes to fighting our climate crisis. And I've been a leader on this, both at the state level and locally. Um, so I think the first thing is looking at our own um, emissions that we have at the, at the county government itself. So making sure I'm working right now to um, say we're not going to use gas-powered leaf blowers, which are, cause air pollution, which have climate impact. Um, but bigger than that, we have to be making sure that um, the work that we're doing in terms of our own um, transportation fleet, the way that we are um, fueling and um, providing energy to our um, own buildings, and um, what we're requiring of, um, of our um, contractors and the people that we do business with are really centering climate work and making sure that we're reducing emissions all we can. We also have to be engaged with communities. We know that BIPOC communities, low-income communities are feeling the impacts of climate change the most. And so as we look at our public health work, as we look at our um, health center work, we need to make sure that we are doing the outreach to those communities to make sure that climate resiliency is something that we're building into all of our programs. And I think um, providing heat pumps, for instance, is an is a, um, example of that. Thank you so much. Lori, we're gonna to go to you next. 
Yeah, I have a lot of experience in this because when I was a Gresham City Councilor, we were one of the first cities uh, in the nation to have the first net zero wastewater treatment plant. And not only uh, does that you know provide an important service, it is saving taxpayers $500,000 each year. So I'm going to take that type of creativity to the Multnomah County Chair's position, uh, working with Keith Wilson uh, around uh, phasing out fossil fuel and uh, introducing renewable diesel. We can do that through our procurement processes. So uh, we can require uh, people that we contract with, people that they contract with, uh, to make sure that we get fossil fuel out of our system. I also worked uh, very closely with Commissioner Ryan's office uh, when Zenith wanted to expand uh, their footprint in Portland. And fortunately, the city of Portland denied that permit. Uh, and I worked uh, very hard behind the scenes to make sure uh, that they were not able to expand their footprint. Uh, also, uh, we can do better on our buildings and require uh, an assessment of each one of those as we build new buildings. Thank you, Lori. Sharon, this question goes to you next. Great, so um, the county has an important role in, uh, in combating our climate crisis, um, both in mitigation and addressing the crisis. And I um, also uh, would advocate and support Commissioner Stegman uh, in the work she talks about working with Keith Wilson, other innovators who are, have policies like renewable diesel that we could implement at the county. Uh, I also, I, I'm very much about innovation, thinking creatively and outside the box, how we can use our county role as the Board of Health, as an emergency management coordinator, um, to be able to combine those things, so addressing the intersections of health and climate, the intersections of emergency management and climate, um, such as with uh, uh, environmental resiliency hubs during uh, that can help us during the heat emergencies when people tragically died from the heat. So we have a lot of expertise on our board. That is something I would love to leverage and in the community Thank you. Um, as chair. Okay, Shariya, this question goes to you next. Great, thank you. And this is absolutely within the purview of the county chair, and there's so many things I would like to just list off, so I'll try to go rapid fire, but I agree with the, uh, with the renewable diesel, and I think we need to be modeling this at the government level first and foremost, set the stage so that other can, can follow in, others can follow in suit. So electric vehicles, renewable diesel vehicles. Um, we have a problem with tree canopy affecting uh, underrepresented poorer neighborhoods, and we need to continue to plant trees and ensure that they, they're not in these urban, uh, these heat islands that, that exacerbate uh, bad outcomes when we have climate chaos, which is inevitably happening and will continue to happen without extremely urgent action. Uh, expand paratransit services. I was uh, severely injured a few years ago and having to navigate public transit with a, a spinal injury was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And just having to walk between places, get uh, different stops, uh, there's gaps between certain stops. So uh, paratransit is having uh, vehicles come to you in areas that are harder to reach or if you have disabilities, we need more of that. Thank you. Okay. And now for our next question, you know, based upon time, I'm gonna ask one final question before we go to closing statements. And first for the final question, we'll go to you, Lori. Um, tell us about one topic we didn't discuss today that you would like to spend one minute on. 
I've mentioned the, the Portugal model. I think about getting upstream uh, from our you know, most challenging uh, issues, and I think nobody's talking about the drug, the fentanyl, and the meth crisis that I think is a huge driver of uh, the violence, the homicides that we're seeing, uh, as well as the property crimes. I think about uh, the mom who is barely getting by, and then to have to walk out to her car and find out that her catalytic converter has been stolen. Now she doesn't have transportation. She doesn't have a way to pay uh, for the, that, that damage. And so we really have to get upstream. Uh, and so I like the Portugal model because what they do is that people, if you're caught with a 10-day supply of, of, of drugs, then you are mandated under a 10-day supply. You're mandated to go through medical treatment. If you have over a 10-day supply, then you will go through the criminal justice system. And right now, our youth People are being killed by meth and fentanyl, and it is a major driver of a lot of the violence and the public safety Thank issues you, that we're having. Thank you, Lori. Sharon, this question goes to you. What is one topic we didn't discuss that you would like to spend one minute on? I too would like to call out behavioral health, which is the combination of mental health and addictions. And um, uh, Commissioner Stegman said no one is talking about meth and opioids. I talk about these things ad nauseum and I see thousands of people in the emergency department suffering from these conditions and know what we need to do to address them. So I know that um, I'm glad my fellow commissioners are supportive of, for example, the Behavioral Health Emergency Coordination Network. I led those efforts um, to address the crisis in our communities around substance use disorder and the need for a center where um, people can go that is not jail, not the ERs where I see them, and um, that they're not on the street where I also see them, and meet their needs as human beings. But it is more than just homelessness and violence. It is our youth who are facing crises right now. I'm sponsoring a youth mental health forum at the end of May, very excited about that, that is driven by youth and have had regular engagement with youth in community who actually know what they need. And we need to communicate that to our elected representatives and leaders also, elders, are, we rarely talk about their needs and the isolation Thank and you. trauma has made things worse. We need a system that functions. Thank you, Sharon. Shariah. Thank you, and I want to echo those sentiments. I actually agree with Commissioner Stegman and Commissioner Myron on the behavioral uh, mental health issues that are going on and drug addiction issues, pr primarily the meth crisis. But one thing I want to focus on is the pandemic. And as we're coming out of this pandemic, uh, Commissioner Myron just mentioned isolation of the elderly, but also isolation of Gen Z. They're now the loneliest generation. And so, uh, I, I'm, I'm described sometimes as hard-nosed, uh, competent disruptor. Uh, I, I tend to be a little more centrist, but one thing, uh, one thing I really want to uh, focus on as well is just having fun. We need to have fun as, as a county together. We need to have more concerts, more uh, movies in the park, jazz festivals, uh, get local talent to come together. We have amazing artists. You see, you see the art on the streets, and I want to see it uh, in a way where uh, artists can come together and share their talents with everyone else. Multicultural events. I mean, I'm an Egyptian, Arab American myself, and we really uh, strive when we bring out the diversity of our community, and I want us to have fun again and hope and, and smile again with each other and come out of this isolation. Thank you so much, Sharia. Okay, Jessica. 
Yeah, so I appreciate all the topics that have been raised, and I do think that those are very important topics. Uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about really, though, is economic development and the role of government, specifically Multnomah County, in um, into working on getting people to be self-sufficient. We provide so many services. We're considered the safety net government, but if we're not helping people be self-sufficient, we're only doing half our jobs. Um, as county chair, I will work to bring together um, private sector, businesses, unions, um, schools, and um, community college to make sure that we're having pathways for the people that we're serving to get into jobs. I was a supporter of the, um, the Black Entrepreneurial Fund, which is actually helping um, identify and find opportunities for, um, for our black community members. Um, and we need to continue to be working and supporting community organizations and the roles that they have at the base level of finding people um, to get into um, servicing, to get into jobs, especially in the peer support role that we um, actually can provide some access to um, and opportunities at the county. So I think that is a, that is a huge place um, where I will have a priority as chair. Thank you so much, Jessica. Okay. Thank you to all of the candidates for your responses. And thank you, of course, to the City Club and community members who submitted questions. It is now time for our closing statements and each candidate will have one minute. And we'll start with Sharon. We'll next go to Sharia, Jessica, and we'll close with Lori. Sharon. Thank you. So we are beyond the tipping point right now. We're, we're over the cliff and need to push ourselves back on and because we've gone off that edge. I am an ER doctor and I will address the emergencies that are destroying individual lives and our communities. I do this work every day on the front line. I see where our systems don't intersect. I see where they can intersect and ways to push us forward. I also see how we can bring accountability, proactivity, and bigger picture thinking to a system that has been reactive and hyper-focused over the years that I have been on the board. It's like a book of dot-to-dots. There's a bunch of scattered dots. We have a couple of them. We need way more dots, and we need to connect them. But the bottom line is that we need change in direction. We don't need more convening, more meetings. We need action, and that is what I will bring to the county with my knowledge, skills, and yes, impatience. True leadership, true accountability, and action in the key issues we're facing. Thank you. Shariah? Your closing statement. I would agree with Commissioner Meyer in that we need change, and I am that change. I'm the only viable non-politician running. The commissioners against me have been in power for five or more years. They've had opportunities to address these crises, and they haven't been able to get the majority they need despite having the funds to actually effectuate the change that the people deserve. So it's time for a fresh vision, for fresh energy, for somebody who's coming in to set that vision, and I will draw upon the experience of my colleagues here that are sitting with me today. I respect them as people, but I think the leadership we've had so far is not working. We need urgent, critical, urgent action on the homeless crisis, on cleaning up our streets, on getting the garbage off the streets. It's creating a sense of disarray and discord in the people. They don't want to see it. They don't want to continue uh, see, seeing our problems explode with no solutions in sight and no action over these last five years to critically reverse these emergencies. So if you want real change, vote for the viable candidate, vote for the competent disruptor, vote for the person who will actually focus on getting these things done and be transparent and accountable to the people, not nonprofits, not other politicians, you, no one else. Thank you so much. Okay, and Jessica, you are just in time to use your final I, I <laughs> free speech. Yes, Go ahead and use it and then we'll move to your closing statement. So you have 
I'm adding it on to my yeah, closing so you statement. Would like a minute and 30. You got it. Okay, okay a minute and you. 30. All right, so people are watching this today because you care about the county and you care about the people here. These next four years are critical for addressing the complex problems before us, and the county chair is going to be a vital part of creating that change. And we require a strong and competent leader who has a clear track record of taking on big challenges and getting results. And that's why I'm running for county chair, because that's what I've been doing in our community for the last two decades. From addressing climate change to creating universal preschool, I've created systemic changes at both the state and the local levels. I have never said that I can't get something done because I didn't have the right position. Instead, I fought with tenacity to maximize the impact that I could have and get results for my community, my district, my county, and my state. As a Latina, as a mother, as an East Portland resident, I have the life experience to lead with compassion and bring more voices to the table. And I have a huge group of people who are with me in this fight. I have the broadest and deepest coalition of organizations and community leaders who are supporting me in this race, including the employees of Multnomah County through Ask Me, the Portland Firefighters, Apano, Latino Network, Oregon League of Conservation Voters, Oregon Working Families Party, Pro-Choice Oregon, Sierra Club, AFL-CIO, and so many more who know that I am a proven leader ready to take on the job of Multnomah County Chair from day one. And I invite you, this is not enough time to go through all of the things, um, all of the policies, so I invite you to learn more and to join me in this work by checking out jessicavegapeterson.com. Thank you. Thank you so much, and right at minute 30. Lori, your closing statement. Thank you, Shabri. Growing up in the Rockwood neighborhood of Gresham, one of the lowest income and most diverse communities where over 80 languages are spoken, I've lived and witnessed firsthand the challenges that our most marginalized community members face every day. And it is that lived experience that enables me to lead with passion, humility, and purpose. I'm the only commissioner who has successfully, successfully partnered with all five of the cities in my district, including Portland, Gresham, Fairview, Troutdale, and Woodville. And because of those deep relationships, I've been able to direct significant investments like $40 million in homeless services, plans for a new homeless service center with 50 beds of alternative shelter, 334 units of affordable housing, a food bank, and a partnership with the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. I don't have multiple degrees. I was lucky just to go to college. And I don't have higher political aspirations. This is the only job I want. I would be honored to earn your vote. Thank you so much, Lori. Now that concludes our candidate debate. And thank you to our candidates, Shariah Mayfield, Sharon Myron, Lori Stegman, and Jessica Vega-Peterson for being with us and for answering all of our questions it is not always easy being in the public eye in our current political environment, and we honor your commitment on taking this important task to heart. Thank you, of course, again to City Club sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural, and Talkin' Torp. And thank you to City Club for giving me the opportunity to moderate this debate. Now, to all those viewing, thank you. Ballots for the May 17th election are now arriving. Your vote is powerful. You are powerful. Please vote. This concludes our program. Thank you and have a great day.